everybody, welcome to the roundtable number 16. This is my interview with Doug Davison, the owner and operator and improver of Fantasy Grounds. He's not necessarily the creator, but he has certainly taken it and making his own. We're going to hear that interview in just a second, but first I want to remind you that you should use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. I also want to thank our sponsor for this podcast, NobleKnight.com, where Out of Print is available again. They're a brick-and-mortar game store that exists online where you can find any edition, any product of anything ever made. Uh, for tabletop RPGs, don't go looking for something non-related. That would be ridiculous. Anyway... Check out noblenight.com. You can even sell them your old gaming products that you aren't using anymore. Let's hear a word from them. Hello. Hello, citizens. Oh, thank goodness. Adventurers, we need a noble knight. Perhaps you can slay the beast of retail and reap the promises of riches. Riches? Yes. Great prices, out-of-print games, the latest releases, and a magic box that converts all of your old loot into cash or new loot. But why? Fantastic. I'll do it. Yes. Well, you see, the beast, he kidnapped the mayor and can only be slain by the most noble of knights. Yes, yes, yes. I said I'll do it. Yes, the thing is, I was talking to her. What? Fear not, kind citizen. The noble knight will save the day, rescue the lord in distress, and liberate all that loot anyway only possible at Noble Knight. If you'd like to get your hands on Noble Knight's loot, head over to thetomeshow.com and click on the link in the show notes for this episode. And don't forget to tell them that the Tome Show sent you. Ha, I got to do something to help out. All right, guys. Now let's get into my interview with Doug Davison of Fantasy Grounds, which is a virtual game table. So you're going to want to check that out. Hey, Doug, how are you? Doing good take us all the way back to sort of when you first laid hands on a tabletop RPG, what were you playing and that kind of thing. And then take us through your, your experience with the game as a, as a player. And then when you got into made the transition into a sort of this professional realm of designing uh, fantasy grounds and things like that. So, so, uh, you know, I came into uh, Dungeons and Dragons was, you know, my first entry into, into gaming and I had seen, you know, we'd, we'd go to the bookstore with with my parents, and my father read a lot of fantasy and science fiction books, so I'd always see these interesting covers of books that he had had. And uh, I remember seeing the D&D modules that had the really nice uh, artwork on the covers of them, always for sale and shrink wrapped at the, at the bookstore, and I'd always kind of ask, hey, can I get one of those? And uh, my dad would say, no, no, those aren't, those aren't really for you. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, one day I, I lucked into getting roped uh, into yard selling with my mother, which was like torture. And uh, <laughs> I got pulled out to that and I stumbled across the red box someone had for sale at a yard sale. And I just happened to uh, have enough uh, allowance or whatever that I was able to buy it without even having to ask anyone. And, and that kind of opened the door to- towards uh, gaming and uh, just basically reading it, bringing my friends in and introducing all of them and saying, Hey, check out this cool game. And so, you know, it, that was a really, really early age, I would say, uh, probably age of maybe eight or nine or something like that. And it really got me into reading a lot more, to be honest. And, um, 
and really starting to read a lot of the the novels, the fantasy novels that TSR was putting out at the time, really kind of, um, oh, sure, yeah. you know, jump-started me in a lot of areas. And then, you know, it's got its own little math and that sort of thing, and that got me into, um, I had a little bit of a, a programming and a computer science bend mm-hmm. <clears throat> to me as well, because my, that's another one of the things that I kind of inherited from my father. And uh, so I started combining them together and saying, hey, I bet I could do a program that would do this and it would do these lookups. And so I, I did a little bit of, uh, you know, playing around with that sort of stuff, even from an, a very early age, that and playing miniature games like Warhammer Fantasy Battle and, uh, you know, just trying to put your armies together and total up your points and all that sort of thing. So it was something I was always interested in. Um, I never outgrew it. In fact, I just grew more and more into it and had more money to spend on it. <laughs> so uh, so that, that kind of ran for a while. I, I did a lot of probably a pretty even mix of being a player and a GM. I seemed to GM a lot with, with most of my friends just because I was more into it, more into it, I guess, than they were. So I'd spend a lot more time preparing everything and, and trying to, you know, make sure that we'd have a fun, you know, set of encounters ahead of us. And then when I got a little bit older, I started becoming, I had the luxury of being a player uh, in a number of different campaigns and, you know, met all sorts of different people and always, um, you know, every time I get in with a gaming group, they, every one of them became lifelong friends. So this something that has always appealed to me about role playing in general is, is really just the social aspect of it. and. Uh, you know, you learn a lot about people when you see them, you know, portraying their favorite barbarian or wizard or whatever. You know, you, you actually pick up enough of their personality as well that, that you really probably know them better than you know anyone outside of the gaming realm. Yeah, it's just true. I've never thought about it that way. But you do. You get to see people in life or death situations playing other characters and what elements of themselves do they bring to this character and that sort of thing is is interesting. It's always interesting to see what your good friends choose to explore with their characters too. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I had some friends that would always play the same type of character, no matter what, (laughs) you know, uh, and then other ones that were more adventurous and they, you know, took it on more as an acting role and that sort of thing. And, but you know, there was always that kind of common theme amongst all other characters, I'm sure. Uh, but, but yeah, this, this kind of went on for a while. And then when I was in, uh, Champaign, Urbana, Illinois, you know, I, I had a, uh, a gaming forum that I ran out of there called CU Gaming. And we kind of, uh, we even had a couple conventions, small conventions that we kind of got put together. And we had a really good kind of a gaming crowd. And then when my wife finished uh, getting her master's and her PhD at, at U of I, then, you know, we had a, a young son at the time of, of three to four years old and started looking at maybe moving back out towards uh, either closer to her family or closer to my family which were in Louisville or in um, Huntsville, Alabama. So we ended up deciding to, to move away, and I started looking at options on, well, how can I continue to play with, with all these folks that I'd you know, gotten to know so well? So I started looking into virtual tabletops, and you know, I, I had a software development company at the time. I was a, a software consultant and had a number of folks working for me as well and was you know, pretty proficient with, with software development. So um, you know, I originally just looked around as – as an end user. And, you know, I had a couple of programs that I would use when I ran my own games. DM Genie was one that I ran for a while that was um, really helpful to, to use for prepping yes. games. Yeah. <laughs> and and it had some, yeah, it was, it was a great, great little app and uh, it had all kinds of cool little features built into it and you could continue and modify it and enhance it. And so I would do that sort of thing quite often. 
And then I came across um, a couple of different virtual tabletops, tried several of them. I spent probably about two months or so just trying out, you know, it in as in-depth as possible, each of the different ones that was out there. And I came across Fantasy Grounds. And this was probably 2007 or so. So Fantasy Grounds came out in 2004. Mm-hmm. And um, it was it was put together originally by three guys out in Finland. So <laughs> I'm not uh, the original author of it by any means, but... Um, you know, I, I came into it as an end user, and they only had basically D and D was supported. Three point oh was pretty much supported, and they had made a little bit of strides towards three point five, but it was still mostly like the early three oh that was kind of supported in the system. And um, so, you know, I started looking into that, and I wanted to play like Star Wars uh, Saga Edition, uh-huh. and uh, so I started building my own rule set for that, and I saw how extensible it was and it was kind of like an open framework to where you could look and see how they had put together some of the stuff with the xml and with some lua scripting and i was able to to craft my own version just for my own use of star wars saga edition at the same time there was another guy on the forums who was a real active community member that went under the handle of moon wizard and uh it was that's my new business partner john gregory so he was doing one for dungeons and dragons 3.5 and it became more popular than the one that the SmiteWorks folks wow. had done for Fantasy Grounds. And so more people started using it. He had lots more automation built into it. And uh, so he was real active on the community doing development as well. And um, so he and I were kind of both out there, just community members that were throwing stuff together. And there were, there were a number of other guys that were doing the same sort of stuff and uh, graphic artists and, and that sort of thing too. And so I decided that I liked the program well enough that um, – and I saw that it had more potential than it was maybe being tapped into. That just kind of on a whim, I uh, got a hold of John Gregory and said, "Hey, you know, I've never met you in person, but I kind of sense that you, you and I are of like mind and uh, and talent and so forth. So, what would you think about us going together and trying to buy the company from from the guys in Finland?" And uh, he's like, "Oh yeah, sure, sure." So yeah, uh, we reached out to him, and they weren't interested in selling. I mean, they were doing well. And, you know, they were continuing to, to sell licenses and growing the company and it was, it was still doing well and it was doing well financially and it probably didn't really take them a whole lot of effort to kind of keep it going. But, you know, we, uh, we were able to negotiate a price that they felt comfortable with and I think ultimately they saw that it wouldn't just continue on, you know, in its current form. They were really kind of interested in, in what John and I would be able to do with the company once we took over. And, that, you know, because once you build something like this, you want to see it grow and you want to see it prosper and succeed. So um, we were able to, to kind of sway them to, uh, to sell it, to relinquish it. We, we purchased it in 2009 yeah. and it had a, a handful of add-ons and, and so forth at that point in time. But we kind of revamped a lot of that. We really engaged a lot of the community members to help build additional rule sets and, and extensions and even all the adventure modules and, and loading all that in that didn't require you to be a programmer. We have lots of people who love doing that sort of stuff. You know, a lot of GMs really pride themselves on their ability to prep and that sort of thing. So we basically put out a model that, that we kind of pay ongoing commissions for sales of, of products that, that people in the community put together. And so now we've grown it so that we have, I think, 260 some odd add-ons uh, for Fantasy Grand, Grounds now. And that's, I want to say, just shy of 40 game systems that are supported. And then just lots and lots of adventures and splat books and, and anything and everything from token packs and map packs and, and so forth. So um, 
we hope that it'll continue to grow and, and expand in that capacity as well. But that's one of the things that I, not, I really like is it's, to me, it's enjoyable putting those things together. And I think for a lot of people, it's enjoyable to do that, but it's not for everybody, you know? So some people want to just be able to load up an adventure and run it with as little prep as possible. And, and, you know, that's something that we try to, to provide for people so that if they want to just grab an adventure, load it up, maybe skim through it, and then they can be off and running in no time, you know, within the, within the program. Yeah. And can you tell me a little bit, I feel like this is the big thing for me that separates fantasy grounds from a lot of other virtual tabletops is this ability to load in an adventure from a publisher and start playing, you know, with the right rules and, and everything, uh, you know, a lot of interesting shortcuts and that kind of thing. Talk to me a little bit about that. So if I'm a DM and I know that I want to play a, a Call of Cthulhu adventure or, or some D20 OGL adventure, um, yeah. you know, anything you guys have the license to and if you have the product, how does it work? Yeah, so basically, if, as long as you have a, a full license or an ultimate license, those allow you to be to use all the GM prep functionality. And so, um, you know, you basically would either get an adventure that's shared for free up on the forums or one that we sell through the store. We sell it for pretty much the same price as what the PDF is sold for directly from those publishers. And it contains 100% of the content that would be found in the PDF, but it's all preloaded in. So uh, all the graphics, all the images, the handouts, so that when you know, when you're Call of Cthulhu game, when you, they stumble across a matchbook with some handwriting on it or whatever, you know, you got the image that you just choose to share with your players when that point comes up in the story. The things are, are all hyperlinked. Uh, so typically there'll be like a table of contents and they're all, you know, you click and follow links as you're kind of exploring the story. You can modify it further so that, um, you know, let's say there's a, a box text and you wanted to really customize it and make it special for your players. You can go in and edit those. So then it becomes, the adventure becomes a... Uh, you know, like a, a starting template, so to speak. Uh, but you can modify it in advance even and then run it when you're ready to run it. And um, so so it'll have all the maps, the images, that typically all the NPCs will have all their stats preloaded in so that you don't have to do any keying or, or entry or anything. And most of it is, is uh, you know, double-clickable. So, you know, if they have an attack when they come up, you can you can start the combat encounter with the uh, you know, five thugs and their boss, for instance, and then when you're when you're going back and forth and those initiatives comes up for the NPCs, see the players will all do their own initiatives and their own attacks off of their character sheet. But then you can just say, okay, well, I've got a, a pistol attack or I've got a, um, a shotgun attack or whatever. You could just drag and drop it onto the target. And most of the rule sets that we have will even tell you if it hits or if it misses. And then you just uh, do the same sort of thing with damage. You drop it directly on the target. So you can, you can either drop it within uh, like our combat tracker, which kind of, represents how people would use index cards to manage their their uh, combat, but it just kind of puts it in a, a nice, easy-to-follow uh, kind of screen that just shows who's coming up next, and, and you can look ahead and that sort of thing. Or when you're directly on a map, when you, each person has a, a token representing their character, and each of the NPCs has tokens representing their character, then you can do the same sort of thing. With uh, something like Pathfinder, it's really nice because the wizards in the party can actually highlight and target four or five different people that might be hit by their fireball. They can, you know, expand it and show directly on the map what the fireball would, would cover and then just have all those people marked. You roll your one attack and it'll roll against the, the reflex saves of everybody in the uh, group and then drop the ones out that, that made their save and then you just roll damage and then, you know, it applies it automatically. So it makes things really, really quick, uh, easy to run. Huh. Uh, same thing with all the various, you know, there's all sorts of, one of the things that, that 
people like about role-playing games is, is sometimes that complexity is, is really interesting and intriguing, and that's how you win the combat. You know, that's the, the challenging part of the game when you say, okay, well, I want to get into here, so I've got a, you know, a little bit of cover, or uh, you know, we're going to get a flank attack on someone, and I'll have a combat advantage. And So all these pluses and minuses, and then you've got all these spells going off, and you're getting buffed by your teammates, and you're getting debuffed by your, uh, by your enemies and all that sort of stuff. They become uh, basically just modifiers that you can continue to stack modifiers onto your next attack roll. And when you roll it, it'll do all the math, add it all, you know, give you the total net positive or minus, and oh, then show you. That's good news. Yeah, such and good news. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And it'll even show you how it got the number so that everybody sees that you didn't add some number that you weren't supposed to. Because, you know, like sometimes when you're just sitting around the table, you know, people's math on the fly is not always as good as it maybe should be. And you end up where people are leaving off bonuses and then they remember, Oh yeah, I forgot to add my, I have bless going right now or this or that or whatever. So it just makes it real easy and real transparent, helps keep the game on track and, and uh, let you run combats faster. Yeah, that sounds incredible. And it's awesome that you have this ability for people to build their own adventures and then share them on the forums and online. That So you can yeah. pick up a, an adventure somebody else has designed, or you could even get some recognition yourself, put up your own adventure, and somebody else might run that. Absolutely. Yeah, There's so basically you can create as many campaigns as you want. And then, so what a lot of people will do when they're building their own adventure that they plan to share out is they'll just start a brand new campaign label it what they want their adventure to be, you know, put all their story elements or box text images, monsters, that sort of thing. And then they just, um, you know, type a slash export command and then they can say, okay, I want to include all of these things. And, uh, and then it makes a module file. So it packages it up for you and everything. And then you can just share that out wherever you want. That's incredible. Uh, what sort of, so what are you guys supporting right now? What do you think are some of the biggest things that people are playing using fantasy grounds? I think probably the, from what we can tell on our on our server, the biggest thing that's being played right now is still Pathfinder. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say Savage Worlds is up there pretty high. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons Fourth Edition has started to kind of drop off a little bit. Sure, uh, yeah, new edition coming out. So new edition coming out. D and D next. We we are um, pretty much ready to roll out with that as soon as, as soon as it comes out officially, wow. and uh, we'll have support for it. But it won't be, uh, you know, none of the game content. You'll have to key in your own data and all of that sort of thing. Um, unless we can get lucky and we can really convince uh, <laughs> the, the fine folks at Wizards of the Coast to, to start licensing it to us to, to carry that as well. But, um, yeah, so you should be able to, to play with that pretty easily. I would say that, you know, the other rule sets kind of fluctuate in popularity. Like right now, there's a little bit of a kick with uh, both Rollmaster Classic and Castles and Crusades have gotten a little bit of new life you know breathed into them so uh it really depends on who's active on the forum seems to drive a lot of of what's the most popular one to play so i think if you have someone who's a real strong advocate of one system or another then they seem to to pull others into that area and introduce it to people and and that sort of thing which is kind of nice it's nice to see that from a social aspect yeah, I would. I can't imagine why Wizards wouldn't want to give you the license or or sell you a license because it seems like then they can continue to sell product through you guys. You guys are another yeah. avenue, right? Absolutely. And and the thing that we've talked uh, you know about in the past, and I can't go into a whole lot of detail, but would be you know even older product like second edition D and D stuff. Perhaps mm. we could even do that. You know, they have the D and D classics that they've been re releasing those in in a PDF form. So that definitely 
makes it seem more likely that we'd be able to do something with them. And we've had some real positive talks with them. It just hasn't really worked out timing-wise right now. They've got a lot of really big things on their plate with a conversion and everything else. And, uh, and we're still relatively a small source of revenue from what, the, you know, from what they see. So it, it's just hard to get into that top priority list to get something kind of done on it. But you know, we would love to have you know, all of their older library material in addition to the new stuff. So D&D Next, we would love to support it right out of the box with as much official support as possible. And every time they rolled out with an adventure, we'd roll it, roll it out you know, at, at the same time as the release or even you know, a week or two later, perhaps. And then um, you know, having like D&D 3rd Edition and 3.5 would probably appeal to a lot of people that are running Pathfinder games. It's, it's the lack of content that is pushing a lot of people towards Pathfinder right, right now, too. And, and Pathfinder is doing an excellent job of just rolling out new, new adventures and new uh, modules that people can play. And that's ultimately what people want. They want to see, you know, what can I play? Can I run through a seven-scenario uh, you know, module path? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and a lot of people who listen to this podcast play some form of D&D. So I would encourage you to, uh, you know, get on Wizards, tweet, email, take to the Facebooks and uh, let them know that uh, if you're playing on Fantasy Grounds, uh, you'd like to see more content available there to make your own life easier as a DM or a player. Absolutely. Now we've gotten lucky a little bit with some of the OGL stuff. Um, you mentioned a little bit of that. We there was a couple Kickstarters that every once in a while we'll see like a D and D three point five or Pathfinder compatible uh, OGL product that rolls out, and so we picked up some of those. One of them was from like Total Party Kill Games, uh, the Bleeding Hollow, and that's like a fantasy horror type one. Uh, we've got a bunch from O uh, One Games. And Adventure a Week has got some good stuff out there. So we are, you know, we're getting some of those on the peripheral. And those are really high quality. I'm very impressed with a lot of the quality of these. Um, and really, they spend a lot of time. You know, a couple of them have even counter or kind of cater to, uh, there's some of them, like one from Expeditions Retreat Press. They have these ones that are targeted towards one GM and one player even. Wow. And so, um, you know, that's even kind of an interesting thing when people just want to do a one-off thing with just one or two person. And those are typically targeted towards a, a specific class as well. So if you have a bard or if you have a, a druid or whatever that, you know, your GM can just run, run that just for you. And they're kind of customized for that sort of an experience. Yeah, that's really cool. You don't get to see a lot of customized adventures for one player, one GM. I think that experience is something a lot of people would want because sometimes Everybody cancels except one guy, you know? Exactly. Uh, <laughs> so it's good to have that in your back pocket. Or even if you only know one other person who wants to play, you're able to do it that way. What are the ways that GMs and players communicate with each other when they're playing through Fantasy Grounds? I know there's a chat window. Uh, are there any sort of video or voice connections as well? Now we we made the decision, and actually the the former owners made the decision, and we actually agreed with it as well. Was that um, they didn't want to embed that directly within the application because, um, frankly, there, there's a couple other options out there that are going to continually getting better and better and better. So you know, Google Plus is out there, and it's free and usable, and it has video or or voice only, depending on what you want to use. Skype obviously is is one of the popular ones, and Ventrilo and Teamspeak and and. So there's all these other kind of options out there that I typically uh, – I would run most of my games with Skype. Now I'm starting to use Google Hangouts a little bit more, and I have the application running side-by-side side with Fantasy Grounds. So I do a mix of, of chat 
uh, window type stuff in addition to, you know, the voice things. I find that the voice helps kind of keep the game running a little bit smoother. Um, but then whenever I have, you know, I still prepare box text and I still prepare kind of spoken text that certain NPCs might rattle off when they go on their little evil monologue or whatever. Okay. So some of those, some of those things, I'll, I'll put it in the chat window and I might actually, you know, speak it in addition to the chat. But the chat window gives you kind of like a nice running log of what's gone on as well. So people can kind of refer back to it at their leisure and, you know, it helps keep the game, you know, running smoothly that way too. And then all your dice rolls will typically go in the, in the chat window. So if, if any of the players rolls dice, it'll be shared to all the other players. They can all see what the rolls were. And, um, you know, the GM can decide to make certain rolls hidden. So if you have, uh, we call it like a, the dice tower that you can drop a dice in, into there. So if you have to do your stealth roll or something, you'll put on whatever modifiers that the GM says, yeah, go ahead and, and add you know, your bonus for guidance is, is cast on you or whatever, and then you're going to try to uh, sneak past the goblins or whatever. They can just drop that directly in the dice box, and it shows that you've made your roll with your with your correct bonuses, but then only the GM knows what the final roll is. So then the GM can make the decision in-game whether or not you were successful or not. Well, what are the big developments that we're going to see from Fantasy Grounds? I would say the next big thing that we're going to do right now is uh, we're going to push it out to Steam here really soon, and um, and that will hopefully really expand its its footprint in the market, and then allow people to hopefully even be able to play. You know, with the Steam big box that they have, you know, I, I'm looking forward to the day when people are sitting at their you know 50 something inch TVs in their living room. <laughs> with a connection and a camera and, and then they're just kind of off and running and playing D and D or they're playing, you know, Savage Worlds or something remotely with, with all their buddies. So um, that's kind of what we're hoping to get a push out there real soon. And uh, you know, that's going to probably take a, a lot of effort to get everything fully ported over and into there. And um, we want to make sure that people that are in steam can play with people that purchased it outside of steam as well. We just didn't want to fragment the market. So it's taken us a little bit longer to make sure that that all works very smoothly. And then once we kind of get that off the ground and running, then we, we, you know, we've got a few other things kind of, you know, under our, under our cap here that we're, we're looking forward to. Um, we've got one guy that's um, it's a third party development effort that we're supporting is uh, it's the rule set builder that he's planning on doing a crowdsourcing, uh, oh, sorry, a crowdfunding uh, project for, and um, you know he's not he's not in the U.S. though, so he's he's having to do it through like an alternate source. But that would be a, a graphical user interface that allows you to build very complex rule sets with with basically no coding or with very little coding. So if you want to just do your own character sheets for you know a game system that is not supported, even though we have you know almost 40 or so different games that are supported today, if there's some new one that comes along and you want to be able to just mock it up yourself, you could you know hopefully do that a lot easier than it, than it would be today. Today is it's a little bit more time consuming, you know, you have to almost be a programmer or at least you have to you know, be comfortable with lots and lots of, tr of trial and error if you're not a programmer. Sure, sure. Well, and I'm sure you have a lot of people posting on your forums too for non-programmers about how they can get through it and set things up if they need to. Absolutely. How easy is it for me if I'm a DM and, and I don't know a lot of programming, I want to set up like a battle map for play. Is that pretty easy? Are there a lot of dungeon tiles I can go in and select and that sort of thing? Yeah, so what we've done uh, in that realm is we basically allow you to use an image from any other source. 
And so it doesn't, we don't do the map creation, so to speak, but we, we use maps. We're like a consumer of maps. So if you go to like Dungeonie or, um, you know, a couple of the other sites on the web, or, or even like you pull something directly from Paizo or from Wizards of the Coast, because they, they share a lot of like map of the week and that sort of stuff, you would just download that one, put it in your, you know, drag that into your image folder, and then you would lay our grid over top of it. So most of them would have like a square grid or a hex grid or whatever. So you just set, do I want square or hex? And really all you need to know and all the program needs to know is how big one of those squares is. So you, you really just go from the top left corner of one square to the bottom right when you lay the grid out and then it rolls it out across the whole map and then it's basically ready to roll. And then you just drop your tokens in and, you, and you're off and running. So it's a... Uh, Simplicity is really what we shot for, so that you could do that on the fly, and uh, you know you don't you don't have to even prepare that in advance. Now, if you do choose to prepare it in advance, you would you know lay your grid out, get that all set up, and you could even go so far as to pre-place the starting location of monsters when they enter a room when you kick off an encounter, and um, and then the nice thing is then you could even type up the story and, and have hyperlinks so that when they go from room to room, all you do is you hold down control and it shows little push pins where all the different locations are and you just click on it and it pulls up, okay, this is what they see. Drag, drag your box text over. Maybe it's got some GM text to say, okay, ask them you know, to do a perception roll to see if they notice that there's you know, a trap in this one part or you know, whatever the case may be. And then if they trip that trap, then maybe you an alarm is raised and, and this combat ensues. And so you click start combat, it automatically places all of those into the con all the NPCs into the combat tracker, rolls their initiative for them automatically, and then places them on the map where they're going to start out. Huh. And then uh, then you just make them visible. And then you know you could do it either in mass make them visible or they could become visible as you know as the players see them individually. Wow, that's awesome. What do I need to have to run this product, to run Fantasy Grounds? Yeah, so uh, the basic principle, principle is that every player would have a license. Uh, so the GM would have a little bit higher level license, what we call a full license. allows you to be a GM or a player. So you could you have access to all the GM prep tools, that sort of stuff, but you could also connect as a player to somebody else's game. Uh, the light license only has player supporting features that allows you to like build your character sheets and uh, connect to somebody basically and, and play a game, but not to do any of the, the prep and you can't create your own campaigns and stories and so forth. Each of those you can kind of upgrade from one to the next as well. And then we also have something called an ultimate license that is, uh, that's for the GM that maybe has a lot of players that circle, you know, cycle in and out and doesn't, he doesn't want, he or she doesn't want them to have to buy any licenses at all. And that's a little, little bit more expensive, but it's kind of like a super license and then they just, they can connect with what we call a free license. Mm -hmm. So, and you can try out and see what that experience is like as a free player. Um, we, on May 8th through 11th, we actually have a virtual convention where we, we've basically for that weekend, we've automatically upgraded every player who has, a, or every person who has a full license automatically gets that upgraded to ultimate license functionality for that weekend. So that means that, uh, everybody else can connect to them without buying anything at all, and then they can play games and they can sign up for events and play. And that's out on uh, it's www.fg-con.com. They do that about uh, twice a year, and that's actually a community-sponsored event. And then we just support it by you know making making the licenses upgrade during that period, and you know we've done some prize support in the past and that sort of thing. And if I want to buy it, where do I go? Uh, you just go to fantasygrounds.com. 
and uh, and you could buy it. the full license is thirty nine dollars, light license is twenty four, and then the ultimate is one one forty nine if you wanted to go that route. And it looks like there's a demo available too. Yeah, and the demo allows you to connect uh, with you and one other person. You can connect, and then you can try it out and see what the player GM sort of um, experiences like between the two of you. It just won't let you save anything, and you're limited to those two connections. So, you know, normally one of the nice things about when you're running an actual game is that these are RPG games, and these are long-term sessions. So, uh, you know, you want to remember where everybody left off, and you don't have to re-enter anything. You know, so. Um, yeah. But you can you can still create all the stuff there. You know, you so you can play around with what is it like to create a story and to to lay it out and to link, uh, you know, one room to the next room and all that sort of stuff. You could you could play around with all that and follow along with our various videos that we have posted up to like YouTube and to our wiki, and you know you can see if it's a good fit for you or not. And before we go, Doug, I have one quick question for you, which would be, what do you think separates Fantasy Grounds from a lot of the other virtual tables that are out there right now i think the biggest ones that we have is as, as far as i'm aware um and I actually i might be a little bit mistaken. d20 pro might have have this in there uh character sheets are big you know each game system that we support one of the first things that we do is we put a character sheet together so the character sheet has all the stats and attributes and and you know things that are being tracked for that specific game system and it looks like you know, we make it look like that game system a lot of times with a similar theme and feel and graphic support and that sort of thing. So uh, from the player's perspective, when you're playing Pathfinder or you're playing Call of Cthulhu, it's very clear that you're playing Pathfinder and Call of Cthulhu because you've got a character sheet directly inside the program that you're running. So you don't have to uh, you know, refer to that elsewhere and just – it's not just you're making your dice rolls. It's that everybody sees it's all been kind of pre-entered in there and, and you're ready to roll. The uh, – the story elements are something that I think, you know, the, the GM prep and campaign management functionality uh, is something that's in there that I think is, is somewhat unique to uh, some, some game systems have it, some don't. I think it's the collective, uh, you know, combination of all of those various things going together that really kind of sets Fantasy Grounds apart from the, from the rest is that we, you know, we really try to emulate the entire experience short of Cheetos and, and Mountain Dew. <laughs> that you would experience <laughs> doug thanks so much for talking to me about this it sounds like this is a big passion project for you and you really care about what gamers and what gms and players want uh which i really appreciate it's nice to see people making products who are gamers um because you know they understand what the challenges are what the struggles are with online play and that sort of thing so and i have to thank you uh connecting people who can't be around a table but can be around a virtual one is 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 a big thing for me so i'm glad that you guys are doing that over there at fantasy grounds yeah and, and thanks for having me it's always i'm always happy to talk about it so i uh, appreciate the opportunity and that is the doug davison fantasy grounds interview he was a great guest. I'd like to give him a lot of thanks for being on the show. Okay, guys, if you're looking for me on Twitter, you can find me at James Intracasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. You can also check out my blog, worldbuilderblog.me, which is all about Exploration Age, the fifth edition world I'm building. Okay, it's time to go. But first, many thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup. Our theme music was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to use the affiliate links 
whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics. They're at thetomeshow.com. All right, guys. Thank you for listening. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to The Roundtable.